Hello, everyone, and welcome to Police Off the Cuff After Hours Real Crime Stories. We have a hell of a show for you tonight. Oh, my God, you can see Joe Murray's here. He's, he's getting to be a famous podcaster. He belongs, on the, he, he belongs on the can of Dinty Moore stew. He, he looks that good with that beard, you know? So we, we got Joe Murray, the attorney, the retired police officer, and he's, uh, he's using that dipped in buttercup from Police Off the Cuff. And we have straight from Brooklyn, Phil Grimaldi. Phil, how are you doing tonight? Pretty good. <laughs> Phil, thank you for having me back. Oh, it's great to have you. We have Thomas Kniff, the Republican candidate for Manhattan District Attorney, and how we would love to see him get elected. But he's going to tell us about his policies. Uh, if, you're on, if you're not a channel member of ours, please join us. If you're not a Patreon member, hit that button. If you're not a YouTube member, shame on you. Hit the button, subscribe, give us a thumbs up. Anyway, Thomas Kniff, welcome. I see you're an Iraqi veteran. You're still in the reserves, right? You're a major in the reserves? Yeah, I'm a, ma a major in the Army National Guard, and I've actually been on active duty for most of COVID, starting really the first day of the shutdown. I've been now at the Javits Center for really since the, the part of last year and all of this year, um, working on the vaccine mission. Yeah, well, that's where I got my vaccine. I got the Pfizer there. You well, know, you uh, said hello. Yeah, <laughs> I got I got it pretty early, you know. I got and I got my kids hooked up with the Moderna through the Sergeant's Benevolent Association. Nice that they do something for the the popo once in a while, you know. Yeah. So, Thomas, you got uh, obviously this uh, New York City, Manhattan is a Democratic stronghold. You got an uphill battle, but you're in the military. You've paid your dues as a Westchester County District Attorney, and you're not going to give up. Tell us your plan. Look, my, my plan is so. By the way, I paid my dues as a defense attorney. You know, the irony is, you know, my my now recently crowned opponent, um, and I say crowned because that's the way that some of the media is trying to portray it. Um, you know, wants to talk about how woke and progressive he is. He's never defended a single case in his life. I've, I've been defending the rights of the accused, along with. Uh, the other hero, Joe Murrow, Murray, here for, for many, many years, um, longer than I've been a prosecutor. So I understand fairness uh, better than anyone. And, and by the way, one of the things that, you know, hopefully if the media starts actually doing their job, uh, this guy, Alvin Bragg, is, uh, you know, a, a complete hypocrite because he spent his years in the Southern District, which he wants to regal everybody about pursuing uh, draconian sentences on nonviolent drug cases, gun cases, immigration cases. First case that comes up when you pull him uh, when you pull him up on uh, the, the electronic because on federal court, you can see every case any attorney's ever handled. He's uh, he's opposing a motion to vacate a life sentence against a, uh, someone convicted of a, a narcotics conspiracy, nonviolent, who was found mentally unfit. Uh, but I want to talk about me. So my, my plan is <laughs> it's, it's so much fodder there. When you're running against someone who puts out a day one memo that says they're going to throw half the penal law away and not prosecute, you know, it's hard to it's hard to talk about yourself because there's, there's so much there. But, Tom, uh, do, do you so think you'll do, no, do you Tom, think you'll do, go ahead, Joe. I'm sorry, Joe. Go you ahead. have, you know, I had a similar problem with I was a police officer before becoming a criminal defense attorney. But I think that prosecutorial and defense mix gives you the best perspective. We see yeah. it from both sides, from the prosecutor police side and the victim side. And then we see it from the defendant side for real cases that we handle for people who are in desperate situations. So I, I think somebody like you is so perfect uh, to, to run for that position. I'm not going to argue with you. Uh, <laughs> you know, Tom, one of, the, one of the things that we find as, as retired police officers so egregious is that when you see a guy, and I, I believe there was a case who got bailed for as a five-time gun possessor, and yep. then today you have Cuomo talking about his seven-point bullshit plan that is a bunch of liberal fluff, and here's a guy through his bail reform gets bailed five times on a gun arrest. Well, listen, I, I can tell you that the tide is turning and, and they feel the heat. In fact, Thursday morning, uh, maybe some of you guys can join me. I've, I've been invited by, uh, they put a press release out today, Al Alpheus Marcus, who's a, is a very prominent uh, community organ organizer up in Harlem, uh, several pastors up in Harlem and the victims of two, uh, the mothers and, and families of two recent victims of gun violence, that case up in the uh, 
in the Bronx where the judge let the guy out, reduced the bail to like nothing. Uh, and he goes out and, and an innocent victim's killed. So I, I got to tell you, you know, it, it's one of the reasons why I want to jump through the computer when I read an article about how, oh, the general election, which will just be a formality, the tide is turning and it's turning in the underserved, in the underserved communities. The point I always make, and I'll make it again right now, <clears throat> people that the Alvin Braggs, that the progressive, I like to call them regressive, left purports to champion, champion are the people most terrorized by the policies they would implement. And, and the message is getting through, you know, the other thing I want to do whenever I want to, whenever I see one of these knucklehead columnists who, who wants to write me off is I said, look, you know, I want to pull the Gary hard, except I don't want to invite him out on a yacht to follow me around because I don't, I don't have a mistress, but I want to say, follow, follow me around to see what the reaction of rank and file voters, I'm talking Democrats in Manhattan are, Upper West Side, Harlem. We were up at June, June, Juneteenth celebration. I go, you know, go look at my damn social media. The pictures are up there. Uh, you know, I was the only white, white guy in the crowd. That's fine. I was being embraced um, by these people, um, you know, who, who are wonderful people who, who are just like the rest of us trying to get by. Um, but they've been let down. And what, what I'm hearing, uh, you know, fr from, uh, you know, underserved communities is that, look, you know, we don't we don't care at this point who's a Democrat, who's a Republican, because, frankly, both parties have let us down. And we're not on board with this, you know, permissive crime agenda that's really has much more to do with grassroots movements in places like Berkeley, California, than they do in neighborhoods like Harlem. Because, again, they're impacted most by it. This is not political rhetoric. Look at the statistics. Who disproportionately is victimized by violent crimes? It, 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 it is not, you know white folks on the Upper West Side. Well, well you know, Cuomo uh, used the statistic today while he was speaking at John Jay that 77% of the victims of shootings in New York City are people of color. Yeah. Yeah. So so, so maybe letting those, you know, people who commit shootings out on no bail to go back to those communities isn't, isn't a great idea. Well, exactly. And he's talking about this and he caused it. Like it's it's, it's oh, yeah. ironic to no, me. Yeah, of course. He caused he signed, it, and he, he signed the bill. He signed the bill into law, and you know the last thing I saw with him was a few weeks ago, where he you know he kind of alluded, you know, well, if there's new legislation, we'll take a look at it. Um, but what's worse yet is, look, hey, we we've all called it wrong, right? I mean, we've we've all gotten it wrong. Uh, God knows I've had it in, in many situations in life. That's part of living, right? Um, you can't be afraid to make a mistake. Although with bail reform, everyone saw that this was going to be a disaster unless you were just an absolute, you know, uh, gender-driven zealot, right? You know, shot, shot the rule, I like to say. Yeah, 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 yeah it was, I mean, look, I had this conversation. Cuomo is a real shadrill, shadrill, yeah, right. yeah, but but look, Cuomo. The most important thing to Andrew Cuomo is Andrew Cuomo, right? So yeah. if, if that if that was what the politics of the day and his party demanded, he was going to sign off on it. You know, he Tom, was thinking, go ahead, Tom, go ahead. Tom, I think you got that kind of a reception. Let's face it. Crime is out of control in New York city across the country as well. But in New York city, it's out of control. Earlier today, I watched the news, uh, upper West side woman being dragged down the block, a tourist for her purse. Uh, another guy riding on a scooter, firing shots. But I would like to throw a couple of topics at you just real quick. And if I throw the topic at you, you don't have to go into it too deep. We'll go through it as the show goes on. But I want to throw a couple of topics at you just to see where you stand. Now, for instance, if I said defund the police, you could either say for it or you could say it's completely insane. It'll destroy New York City, which that's my opinion of it. But uh, right off the bat, I think we kind of hit bail, for bail reforms. But what is your position on bail reform? Short and sweet. It needs to be reformed. We need to okay. go back to give judges the ability to to consider dangerousness of the defendant on virtually all criminal cases. I mean, if you want to, you know, do a carve out for petty larcenies, first time offenders, or uh, you know, uh, promoting uh, uh, a pro pro frequenting a prostitute or what have you, uh, you know, look, I may be open to some minor carve outs, but. In the vast majority, I'm talking 90 point something percent of the cases, we need bail to be an option for our judges. That is the single most important issue facing us right now, in my opinion, as someone who's spent 20 years at arraignments, conducting arraignments, prosecuting arraignments, defending arraignments. 
that is the single number one issue. Now, I know it's supposed to be quick. People say, oh, well, the DA can't legislate. Right. We're an operational office. But if you're the Manhattan district attorney, you're, you're arguably the most one of the most, if not the most prosecute, uh, powerful prosecutors in the country. If they see a Republican got elected in a Democratic place like Manhattan, that is one hell of a mandate and it's one hell of a bully pulpit. And I'll go up to Albany on day one with my team and, and lobby the legislature, do whatever, whatever the hell we have to do to get them to change that law, because it is. It, it, it is killing people and the people it is killing that we've touched on already are disproportionately black and brown people. That is just a fact. Okay. So number two, decarceration as opposed to incarceration, obviously based on what you said, I think you'd lean more towards incarceration. So look, yeah, I mean, look, I, I, I would be in the jails, Tom. I mean, it's ridiculous. What's going yeah, on yeah, exactly. I would love, I, I I'm all for, natural decarceration, meaning okay. that crime levels come down, that we improve the problems in, in underserved communities, education, poverty, so forth, so that less people in those communities and other communities go towards crime, uh, that we get the gangs and the crews that recruit in those communities out of it so we have less people that need to be incarcerated. As a Republican with libertarian interests, the last thing I want to do is spend sixty, seventy, eighty thousand dollars a year incarcerating someone who doesn't need incarcerating. But you don't fix the problem by saying, "Oh, there's too much incarcerating incarceration, so we're just going to empty the jails." You try right, to get at right. the root of the problem. So, look, you know, if we're talking nonviolent offenders, um, low-level larcenies, low-level drug possession cases, uh, things of that nature, I'm not looking to incarcerate those people unless they're, you know, recidivist. Got it, got it. But, but we never did. We never right. did. Okay. The, yeah. You know, the drug left programs for drug addicts. I get right. it. Exactly. Yeah. I'm all for yeah. you know, rehabilitation over okay. incarceration, wherever the public safety is not put at risk. But I will point out that, you know, the left and this progressive nonsense, they thrive off myths. We do not now, nor did we ever populate Rikers Island with low-level drug offenders or petty larcenists who simply couldn't afford to make bail. It is a soup-to-nuts myth. You know, you want to dig through the annals of criminal history in New York and look for an anecdote somewhere, you know, I'm sure you can find someone, find one. But it, it, it did not happen. I've been a prosecutor and defense attorney for 20 years in my 20 years, I have never had a first-time marijuana possessor, okay, whether it's burning in public view in, his, in their pocket, or a first-time petty larcenist. Not only did I never have one of them go to jail, either as a prosecutor or defensor, I never had them convicted of a crime, all right? Those, those are ACDs. For the taking, dismissal, right? I don't even know that I've ever had a second or third time offender convicted of a crime, let alone go to prison. But I'll, I'll err on the side of caution. There's one, one last one. I had a couple more, but we went a little long. I just want to give you this last one. It's very near and dear to all law enforcement in New York and probably across the cr country. Stop, question, and frisk. It's been abolished. What's your stand on that? What do you think about it? I know you don't control the police department, but would you be in favor of maybe bringing it back in a modified way? So again, you know, stop and frisk is one of the most misunderstood, myth-laden topics. Thank you. There. Okay. Thank you. So Thank you. just like, you know, there was never a time when Rikers Island was pop. Okay. There was never a time in New York City where a police officer could just walk up to someone, stop questioning and frisk them without proper basis. Okay. Uh, Joe Murray knows the DeBoer case as well as I do. All right. You needed, you know, articulable basis, articulable basis to approach them, founded, uh, founded suspicion to to do a pointed inquiry, reasonable cause before you can conduct the stop and frisk. Now, if you were a police officer and you did it any other way, there was consequence. And who was the person of, among who were among the people metting out that consequence? Your GOP Republican candidate, because I've gotten a lot of narcotics tossed. I've gotten a lot of guns tossed. I make no apologies for it. I, you know, if a police officer is not going to do it the right way, if they're not going to follow the constitution, that's when the fourth amendment kicks in and, and say goodbye to that collar. I don't care that the gun that you found in the guy's pocket was used in a homicide a week ago. It's gone. And the guy and, and the defendant's walking and that's the way it should be. Okay. That's Absolutely. the way it should be. Um, 
That was that was always the law. What stop and frisk was, and the people who wanted to undo stop and frisk was to say that, oh shit, you know, it's like, hey, we're going to let half the people out of the jails because there's just too many people of color in jails. It was to say that, look, you know, we we don't want the police to put the same amount of resources into low crime neighborhoods like the Upper East Side as we want them to put into higher crime areas like we have in northern Manhattan and East New York, because we know that that's where a disproportionate amount of the shootings occurred or, or the violent crimes or what have you. And that resulted in in more people of color being uh, stopped and frisked. Some people had objection to that. I don't like that. But at the same time, I also don't like people getting gunned down uh, or, 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 or a young uh, man or woman in an underserved community that feels that they're not safe to walk in front to and from school because of gun violence in their areas. Stop question and frisk was definitely overused in the Bloomberg administration. They had to be reined in 100%. But uh, I think that what's going on today, the crime wave, it just gets worse and worse every day. It needs to be brought back in some form or fashion. And as well as the plainclothes anti-crime units, I don't know where you stand on that, but, uh, oh, you know. I mean, I, look, the, the two things that I've been ranting and raving uh, uh, about, and they're not the rantings and ravings of an unhinged person, they're the rantings and ravings of somebody who, who's who's very disturbed about what's happening in this city. Um, you know, look, the only reason I am doing this, I never, I tried to stay the hell away from politics my whole life. I, I would cringe when I would get an envelope for, for you know, some judge's fundraiser or something like that, with the exception of Joe Murray's. I like going to his events. <laughs> Um, and I, I sure as hell never wanted to be district attorney. I, I served as assistant DA. It was great. I, I wouldn't be the lawyer I am if I didn't have that, but I took it and I said, I wanted to go into private practice and, and be an entrepreneur. And it's been great. And I have uh, a great life. I have an amazing family and children and who wants to go into public life right now. Right. Uh, but I'm doing this because I, I see what's going on. I just can't sit here and not, not give a, uh, a, a counter narrative, you know, um, and, and let people know. That, that there's options out there. So, you know, to get back to the question, I, I've been ranting and raving about bail reform and anti-crime. And the police didn't abandon anti-crime because they wanted to. They had to abandon it because you couldn't put your police officer in that situation where things were last summer and they try to do something, they're either going to wind up indicted or dead, right? So, so, you know, unless you have the political capital behind you, you just can't put police officers in plain clothes in the subways where police are getting bricks thrown at them with impunity. You just can't do it. Um, but somebody should tell Cy Vance that that he's dropping all the charges on uh, yeah, well, these yeah, rioters from last summer. I mean, it's ridiculous. Yeah, yeah. I mean, look, we were saying uh, that earlier before we it, went on it, the air. It, 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 it's absurd, you know. Meanwhile, uh, you know, they can track people uh, do, doing you know any other variety of things, but somehow. Well, you know, Tom, let's just get to one other topic too. Um, how but, was but just last point on that? Look at when they disbanded anti-crime, and then look at the statistics. Of course, bail reform January first skyrocketed so much that even the nut jobs in Albany had to change it a little bit in the spring, uh, begrudgingly. But 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 it was a token. It was it was a token change. And then secondly, the summer you have the disbanding of anti-crime, and then all we hear hate crimes on the subway. People are getting pushed in front of it. you know where did anti-crime work mostly or, or a lot was the subway right you know the, 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 well there, there was oh, a no. transit anti-crime that uh, yeah. was was excellent and uh that deters when the mutts know that there's a plainclothes cops in the yeah. subway they're reluctant to ply their trade down there of course you know? yeah tom every precinct has an anti-crime unit as well usually it's at least about eight or ten police officers and then a couple of sergeants so every precinct had a, as well as what just uh, bill just said there was a great anti-crime unit in the subway system but now they're gone and these guys would engage and maybe stop something before it happened or right after it happened and they were making some great collars taking a lot of guns off the street even the plain closed uh gun suppression units have been cut back so there's there's definitely uh very common sense solutions to this uptick in crime. You know, the, the, big, the biggest things I've seen with, with anti-crime and the cases that I've, I've defended is look, you know, they, they, get, they get the subway guys that are, you know, uh, masturbating on women in the subway or you know, grinding on them and so forth. Um, and then they get the guns, you know, and then look, a lot of those gun suppression hearings I was referring to before was the anti-crime unit, you know, and, and, you know, look, they, they need to be held accountable, right. Uh, you know, they, they need to be held to, to constitutional standards. 
certainly do that as a DA, but we can't have them stop doing it. We can't have them go out there. You know, we need proactive policing. You can't wait until someone's dead and get the gun. And the whole notion that, you know, oh, it's the iron pipeline from the South. And okay, great. The guns that, come. That, that's all horseshit. Well, no, it, it's you know, that they, they want to go after the legal guns, not the illegal guns. You know, and, and we said that the, earlier. the point is, is that they do not want cops to be proactive. And that's one of the, they want cops to be scarecrows. Well, because stand out in the field it's politically uncomfortable. There, there's nothing, there's nothing uncomfortable about about you know whether it's Governor Cuomo, whether it's Cy Vance, whether it's it's uh, De Blasio, you know, getting up there and talking about all oh, all the guns with all the you know crazy. You just uh, named the three Stooges, right? Yeah, you know, <laughs> all all the guns are the product of you know the crazy Trump waving flag yeah. waving you know people on I ninety five south of Richmond. And, you know, that's the problem, you know, and, and if only, you know, the, the the Supreme Court would act or or those states would become democratic enough that they change their gun laws then everything will be fine here. Until that happens, it'll be, you know, uh, anarchy here in the streets in New York. And there's but but, but you know, some, they are nuts enough because Beto O'Rourke suggested gun confiscation. Can you imagine that? L listen, you know. Uh, you know, the, whatever, whatever they want to do. Right. I, I mean, I, I'm not as I'm not here as a advocate, uh, you know, for or against gun rights. All right. My, my point, though, is that New York can impose its will on other states. All right. We have we have you know, they're separate sovereigns. Wow. All right. And, and uh, you know, should we be doing gun interdiction? Uh, you know, absolutely. The same way we do drug interdiction on I-95 and, and you know, uh, but to, to say that that that's the only way we're going to handle it, you have to go after the demand. You have to go after the, the end user, um, the end purchaser. Uh, you know, if we learned anything from the war on drugs is that, look, where there's a demand, it's going to be satiated, Right. Um, so I don't care, you know, if you shut down every Smith and Wesson factory uh, south of the Mason-Dixon line, the guns are going to come from somewhere. The Russians will start smuggling them in the same way we have drugs smuggled uh, for, from uh, uh, from outside the United States because there's the demand here. So you have to take a bifurcated approach with the N the NYPD can't go shut down a Dick's Sporting Goods in, in South Carolina or a gun show in Richmond, Virginia. What they can do is go after the people that are trafficking illegal firearms here in New York. The politicians don't want to have you do it because now it's uncomfortable because if the police officer makes a stop and it's cross-racial or uh, an incident escalates and so forth, well, you know, certainly the police don't have the support of this administration. We know that very well. That's music to my ears, Tom, to hear proactive policing and a lot of the things that you said. One other thing I wanted to touch on real quick. Um, Basically, Cy Vance had said he wouldn't prosecute low-level marijuana crimes. Now marijuana is going to wind up being illegal, but uh, they weren't prosecuting the turnstile jumping and the urinating, public urination, public drinking, things like that. Those are the uh, the broken windows policy, uh, quality of life issues. Would you prosecute those crimes if you? Oh, one hundred percent. I just fit. I just finished Bill Bratton's book, uh, Turnaround, not the recent one, the one he wrote at the end of the nineties, and. Uh, God, how open, how eye-opening that is. One of the things that that the commissioner quotes, he says, look, you know, when he came to office in, in the early 90s, the conventional wisdom among the political class, social commentators, uh, even within law enforcement was that crime, and, it, and you talk about history repeating itself, was that crime was the result of societal ills and poverty, and you couldn't out-strategize it, and, you know, it just happened. You tried your best to kind of contain it, right? Then we start implementing the broken windows policies, which insanely, I, I mean, because the progressive left is so insane, at, at broken windows has now become a dirty word. Let me tell you something. As recently as a few years ago, broken windows was something the right and left agreed on. Uh, I don't know if anybody's ever read Malcolm Gladwell, but he is, you know, the tipping point, number one New York Times bestseller for I don't know how many months or years, no one's going to confuse him with a right winger, uh, has a whole chapter devoted to broken windows on what a success it was. So, And it worked. It worked. That's it the worked. thing. It it, it's, it's only now since we've gotten to the Orwellian 
new speak revisionism that somehow broken windows has now become a bad thing. It, 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 you know, it was again, it was something that Democrats and Republicans always agreed on. I think many still do, which is why I'm going to win this race, by the way. But, you know, we have to absolutely get back to that. I mean, Bill Bratton said, look, even as a kid growing up in, you know, hard scrabble, Southie Boston, you knew you didn't drink on the corner and then use the and use the street as a toilet. There were certain societal standards. And let me tell you something. The the the, the progressives who want to lower those standards in the name of making life more fair for people of color, that is a goddamn racial slur. That's yeah. what that is. That is a racial slur. And if you and if you talk to people in the black community, you, you know, they don't like it, nor should they, because that that is insulting. You know, go say to a Jewish guy, go say to an Irish guy, go just go say to an Italian guy, oh, you know, gee, you know, we have to we have to stop prosecuting insurance fraud because you know we got too many Italians using a garden hose in their basement putting in insurance. <laughs> they punch yeah. you in the face. And by the way, I, I'm a, I'm a I'm a, I'm a son of a of my late wonderful Italian mother, so don't don't go give me any backlash for that. Tell the oh, yeah. guy that, right? You, you know, hey, you go tell an Irish guy we have to close the bars early because you know we got too many drunk Irishmen passing out <laughs> and uh, waking up on the patio furniture. They punch yeah, you in the face, and, and just so, so you understand where I'm coming from here. If you talk about the real heroes, like to talk, talk about Thurgood Marshall, right, our first Black Supreme Court justice, I think not only the best Black legal mind of the last century, probably the best legal mind of the last century plus. This is a guy that as head of the NAACP Legal Defense Fund would go to the Jim Crow South as a black attorney and defend black defendants in front of all white juries in the deep South in the 40s and 50s and get acquittals. He almost got lynched after a couple of his trials, literally just just escaped lynching by a hair. You know, if you would have told Thurgood Marshall that, look, we're just going to stop prosecuting crimes because too many black people are, are getting uh, charged, you know, he probably would have taken you out to the woodshed. In fact, one of his one of the criteria before the NAACP would take a case when Thurgood Marshall was in charge was that the defendant had to be actually innocent. He wasn't interested in going there and putting on a smoke show for a guy, black or white, who actually committed the crime. So, you know, this stuff is is the product of, of far elites that, you know, are, are going to, you know, places like uh, UCLA, Stanford, where uh, on dad, usually on daddy's dime, and they're coming back to these communities. And what they're promoting is terrorizing these communities. It is terror. And well, what Tom, happened, Tom, let yeah. me just break in here yeah, for a I'm second. Going off, I, I, you know, one, one, of the, one of the things <laughs> that, that I wanted to say, too, is that it doesn't seem like they give a damn about the victims. Phil and I did a show where we saw this guy robbed in the subway. It was old-style 1980s, 1990s robbery. They beat the shit out of this poor 64-year-old man. They slashed his forehead with a razor. They took his phone, took his money. And I was like, it was at 60th Street and right near Macy's, the subway there. I was horrified. I was like, I cannot believe that's happening. That that was something I saw. I was in street crime in 1988. That was something I used to see back then. Let me tell you, the, 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 the psychopaths that you're talking about don't care about the victims, but the extreme radical progressives also don't care about the victims. They are collateral damage. A hundred percent. It is an ends justifies the means mentality. OK, just the way the Marxists, you know, and, and, and you know, Lenin uh, and uh, and Karl Marx, you know, look, there was going to be. Some people who are going to go to slaughter, but that's okay because we're trying to create this utopia and that's a cost of doing business. It is the same mentality. Uh, you know, and look, I'm not talking about any rationally minded Democrat voter. And I think the vast majority of Democrats in this city are reasonable people who don't want this. I am talking about the, the extreme agenda driven, radicalized left. That no, look, you can't. There, there's no defense when when the, when the bail reform goes into effect on January first, and then shootings go up 100 percent that year. They literally double. Uh, murders go up by 50. You, you can't. No one can say with a straight face that there's not a causal relationship there, right? They don't care because in their mind, you know, look, if someone commits a crime, you know, it, it, it's a result of of hardships they face, racial inequities, poverty, what have you. And, you know, it's too bad for the crime victim, but it's too bad for the crime victim. 
that's, yeah, I was that's, at what, that, uh, that's what we're fighting against. That closing ahead, Rikers John. Island subcommittee hearing, and I could not believe what was coming out of these people's mouths. They were saying, yeah. they were cheering that this is the first step in ending all prisons and closing all jails because people don't belong in cages. Yeah. And there is no yeah. such thing as criminals. And Joe, that's People another thing I've been held. saying since, since the beginning. Yeah. Make no mistake about it. Bail reform was the first step in an ultimate objective of eliminating eliminating prisons. There is there is no question in my mind that when you get to the again, I'm talking, I'm not talking about your 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 the Democrats we meet on the streets in New York City. I'm talking about far left agenda driven radical progressives. Bail reform is step one. The ultimate step, the ultimate step in achieving that utopia is that there are no prisons, that somebody, you know, commits a murder uh, and uh, I don't know, they go to art classes and that's the end of it. <laughs> Sounds like you're describing AOC to a table. Because, you know, they, they, they didn't commit the murder. You know, the murder was committed as a result of societal ills and they were just- Of racism. It's always they, racism. Yeah, and they, they just happen to be the- instrument of that guys we just got to cut to a quick commercial we'll be back in about a minute or so uh folks you're getting tired of the high taxes of the northeast the crime the nine mayoral candidates who make you want to vomit well carol waters sells real estate down in myrtle beach south carolina she's been uh selling it down there for a bunch of years and she was once a bartender at the fitzpatrick hotel here in manhattan her husband, Rob Mayen, was an NYPD officer who rolled over to the FDNY. They both are top salespeople for the Beach Realty Group down in Myrtle Beach. So if you want a rental or you want a house, you want to move down there, you want a condo, give Carol Waters a call, 914-261-6681, or you can email her at carolwaterssellsmb at gmail.com. This uh, a lot of people must be contacting her because she's kept this commercial for a, a bunch of months. <laughs> Best of luck, Carol. Joe Murray, attorney at law. We have Joe present tonight. And obviously, you know, Joe, he's been on the show many times. He's a fantastic attorney. He's also a former member of the NYPD, a veteran, a 15-year veteran. Um, you know, Joe can handle criminal cases throughout New York City. He could also be a, a victim's advocate. You never know. Do what I did when I retired. I threw a couple of attorneys that I knew into my phone. Put his phone number into your phone. God forbid you get arrested or you have a, a, a criminal matter or you're a victim and you need an advocate. 646-838-1702. That's his telephone number. 646-838-1702. jmurraylaw.com. You can reach him on his uh, email, jmurraylaw.com. And the website jmurraylaw.com. I just had a friend of mine whose son is an attorney, told me he was in the precinct. I thought he was surrendering somebody. He was there trying to make a police report and they needed an attorney present to get things done. Who knows better the inside of a police station house than Joe Murray? So think about it. It may not only be if you get arrested. You may need advice. You may need an advocate. Joe Murray, jmurraylaw.com. Wow, that was some. <laughs> I, I I almost want to hire him, and I don't need an attorney. He <laughs> his numbers on the phone now too. I may get in trouble. I got to keep that card, you know. That's, that's why I want to become DA. I don't have to worry about competing competing with Joe for cases anymore. <laughs> that's that's right. That's right. Tom, uh, I wanted to mention something. I spoke to you about it before, but Cuomo today spoke at John Jay College, and he was talking about. Uh, gun violence being a major civil rights issue to the fact that he he, he wrote an executive order uh, calling gun violence a disaster. And he called for a seven-point program, treat gun violence like a public health problem, target hot spots, and using data and science. He didn't invent that. We The police department has been doing that forever. Uh, positive engagement of at-risk youth. I happen to agree with that. Break the cycle of violence. What does that mean? Get illegal guns off the street. We did. Stop question and frisk. Keep, right. guns, keep guns out of the hands of dangerous people. That's so vague also. Rebuild the police community and the relationship, which obviously the left destroyed the police in this country. For two years, there's been a war on police, and it came from the left, not the right. 
Yeah, listen, I don't I don't disagree with a lot of those talking points, but you know, you you can't get up there and just read off a feel good memo without saying, "Hey, you know, when how are we going to put this into 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 operation?" You know, and that's going yeah, to how, require how do we target hotspots. Is he talking about profiling right. or what what is he talking yeah. about? So, he's you, talking you know, about precision policing, which the NYPD has been doing for years. Right. You know, it, it, look, Rebuilding the relationship between police and community, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, targeting, which again, I mean, that alluded to what I was talking about before with stop and frisk. You know, so if you're targeting, then that says you're going to put more. You know, by definition, look, violent crime disproportionately occurs in minority neighborhoods. All right, and it also means that that minorities are disproportionately the victim of violent crime, at least in New York City. I don't know what goes on anywhere else, okay? So what he's saying there, if you're really going to do that, that we're going to have to put a lot more police officers in minority communities in New York City, and they need to know that they have the will uh, and the support of the politicians behind them so that they can actually act, because right now the police are afraid to do anything. Um, you know, I, I was commenting on we are you know more police more police we need more uniform police that was coming out of the mayor's office and so forth okay uniform police to do what i i commute on on fridays i go back to long island via penn station um you can't go through penn station without seeing this encounter all right you have a you know a vagrant there and he's in a confrontation with police um, because the police asked him to move, the police asked him not to use the station floor as a bathroom, whatever the case may be. And, you know, you have six, eight, ten, I've seen it upwards of a dozen police officers in a semicircle around the individual who then is goading the police officers on, cursing them, threatening them, and the police don't, won't do, don't want to do anything. And this this lasts for, for, for minutes, minutes, uh, just goes on and on and on until until my train arrives and I, I finally get out of there. Um, you know, think of Tom, the- let me just stop you there for a second, please. Yeah. What you just described, right now with the body cameras, I always tell people that there are times when you have to use force, whether it's a 110 pound female or a 350 pound six foot five muscle man. Any kind of force on that camera does not look good. In the public eye. I'm sorry, it just doesn't. If I have to, and, and even if somebody's almost complying, they struggle a little bit, it looks bad. Right. So we, we have to be able to say when there's an incident where someone is hurt or they're, they're saying that they were targeted, uh, you know, racial profiling or God forbid killed, we need a public official to stand up and say, let's wait for the facts to be uh, aired out. Let, let's wait for the investigation to continue on. If there's criminality involved, and, and thank God we got rid of the diaphragm law because that was ridiculous. But if there's criminality on the on the part of law enforcement, the police officers will deal with it with the system. But if there isn't, we're going to call it what it is. And it looks like every politician is afraid. Sometimes you see the six o'clock news, you only see that 10 second clip of officers struggling with somebody, but you didn't see what you described just there, right. the taunting and all the stuff that happened beforehand. And now the officers are left with no nothing else to do. They have exhausted everything. They have to take this person into custody. They have to use force. There's a struggle. That's what's going to be on the six o'clock news. So I think we need we need the people to stand up behind the police. We need the prosecutors and the politicians to do the same thing. And I'm not saying if a cop does something, if he goes over the line, if a guy is in handcuffs and he's kicking the guy in the rib cage, that's not good. Okay. But if he's placing somebody in handcuffs and they're using force to do it, like I said, if it's a 110 pound woman or some gorilla, it's going to look bad. You know, it just doesn't look good on those body cameras. Well, that's true. And, but my, and my point is, look, it shouldn't take, we shouldn't be monopolizing the time of 12 police officers to collar a miscreant in Penn station who is resisting arrest. Absolutely. Because those resources are being diverted from other places that need them. Now, Look what Alvin Bragg is proposing. He, he has this day one memo, right? That it's all over his website and the media. I mean, if this is the day one memo, God forbid, I hate to see the day two memo. He has promised under no circumstances will he prosecute an resisting arrest or obstructing government administration. 
Now we know what are the and and or any violation. So what are the charges on the sort of encounter that we were just talking about? Well, you got disorderly conduct because the guy's shouting and cursing and screaming at Penn Station and blocking commuter traffic. Then he's not, then he's getting in the way of police officers not letting them do their job. So you have a, an obstructing. And then in many cases, he's going to be resisting the actual arrest when the police finally make the arrest. So Alvin Bragg is now now doubling down on what we've been seeing playing out for the last couple of years and saying, you know what? That that whole collar is getting thrown out the window. And I guess, I don't know, the perp just gets let loose to continue carry on at Penn Station. What and are the chances course, he's going to charge an assault on a police officer as well? You let right. that in there. He's not going to charge. Well, and, and then he goes and then the perp goes around. He gets a lawyer. Right. And he sues because he now sues, you have yeah. police who made it an unlawful collar because the prosecutor declined to prosecute it. So it must have been crap from the get go. Uh, you know, if if only the press would put this in context. Stop acting like this is an anointment and let the voters decide. Let the voters hear this. Because, look, I don't, I don't have a million dollars in progressive PAC money that has recently been promised to Alvin Bragg. And I never will. You're just never going to get that, those kind of funds running GOP in, in Manhattan. Angela uh, Ang, thank you for the 999 Super Chat. Duty Ron, thank you for the 999 Super Chat. <laughs> this is Thomas Kenef running as a Republican for the Manhattan DA's office. A lot of things we're hearing tonight is music to our ears. But I mean, when we think of when I think of the nine candidates for mayor, they're all described as less bad. There's not one good one. And uh, even Eric Adams, he's described as the least worst. But it's like he's not good either. You know, so it's like I mean, and we don't even know, in fact, if he's going to get the nomination. Uh, and again, we can't discount. Republican Curtis Sliwa or conservative Joe Pepitone. But as we said before, this is a uh, democratic city, the electorate. I mean, it's, it's a shame also with the electorate, like all about a 10th of the people eligible to vote show up. That's pretty disgusting too. Uh, I, I mean, I look, I, you know, uh, hope springs eternal and so forth. I mean, like I said, I, I have no delusions because I really, it's not a job I ever wanted other than, the city turning to hell and i feel that it, that it, i i have to i have to you know i've been tapped on the shoulder i got to take the torch and run with it i got to try and take the hill but I, I i i am telling you that you know if if the media would would play it fair um and people are paying attention this is a winnable race again it's only manhattan uh, i'm focusing on and right. you know i i'll tell people joe and i have had this conversation that look you know i may differ with the prototypical liberal voter in Manhattan on a, on a lot of issues. Um, but I don't think we differ much on what I'm trying to do. And I, and I always say that, look, they are different than your Berkeley, Seattle, Portland, shirtless anarchists that you see out there. Most people in New York City, particularly in Manhattan, because it's it's such a place where, you know, we have we have the arts, we have so many avenues to you know whether you're into fine dining whether you want to stimulate your your intellectual side they want their city to be serviceable all right you're they, describing they, the people that live around washington square park right now what you're what you're no, describing I, are the people that live around there and are fed up with the right. nonsense and bullshit that's going on up there you, you don't come here and pay what you do to live in this city to have you know monuments and public spaces like Washington Square Park be rendered unusable. These people, these, you know, if they're anywhere reasonable, middle of the road Democrats, they they will vote for me. They will, they will, this is a winnable race. I tell people, I said, look, you're not going to hear me talking about abortion. It's not on the docket. It's not in my wheelhouse. This is a single issue office. It's it's crime and punishment and fairness. I'm not talking about tax policy. I'm not talking about immigration policy or border walls or any of that. You want to be a blue bleeding Democrat, you can still vote for Tom Kniff. They're not, you know, they're not, they're not in conflict. And right. people, people get it. Again, I, I said before, I'd love to take one of these reporters, just walk around the Upper West Side for me for the day and put, put, put a got body cam on me. We'll post the footage. <laughs> but you know something, Tom, we're, we're talking about, uh, we've mentioned this a million times, that Brian Watkins moment. And I don't know if the city's there yet. 
because I don't know if you remember Brian Watkins was the tourist from Utah yeah, who no, was stabbed to death Somewhere. defending his mother in the subway yeah. station in Times Square. Yeah. I don't know if we're there yet. Well, I don't know if enough kids have gotten killed. We're approaching it, Bill. Well, the media, you know, look, I, and again, I don't want to, I'm not, you know, I, I'm not going to be one of these, I'm not going to fall into the trap of blaming the left-wing media or anything like that. In fact, I think the bigger, I think the bigger problem for me so far has been the right-wing media. And I'll, I'll be, you know, totally blunt about that. I had a reporter from Fox News on the phone today and I was, I was giving it to him. Uh, poor kid. He actually was nice. He was trying to, young guy calling me <laughs> and, and, you know, meanwhile, I'm rant, you know, I'm like, he's like, look, I, I'm with you. Um, but you know, the, a part of it is the media won't allow one of those moments to happen, right? I mean, look, you know, the, the, certainly those events have happened. If you look at uh, Tessa Majors up in, uh, uh, you know, uh, the Columbia Barnard student, um, they're there. Uh, you know, we're just not willing, for whatever reason, the media is not willing to report on them the way they were willing to do in the in the eighties and nineties. And look, maybe that's because the people were more fed up at that point. So, so the, it, it, it got more coverage. I mean, you know, that there is this, I'll uh, tell you why they don't want to say it. I, I'm going to be very frank with you. A lot of times the perpetrators of these crimes are minority and they're afraid that they're going to be called racist. If they, if they do a, an extended story, they do the blurb at the six o'clock news or the 11 o'clock news. And if they were to do a real story like they did on, on Watkins or that young lady that you were talking about just now that was killed from Columbia. I mean, let's call a spade a spade here. The, these things have to be called out. And when the spotlight is shined on it, People react. I thought when that first tourist got attacked, uh, you know, a few months back, that we were going to start to see a change. But then there was another one and another one and another one. And it looks like it's like it's OK to beat up a tourist and rob them and stab them and slash them. It's ridiculous. You know, we can't be afraid of it. It's unfortunate that a lot of these crimes are being committed by a, a minority group. But we have to do what we have to do. Whoever commits the crime is the one we should go after and arrest. No. Yeah, and, and look, and they're often victimizing the decent minorities that are the overwhelming majority of, of, of black and you know are not you know someone on Twitter last night you know was, was trying to say well you know it's all blacks coming. I said look and, you know look the numbers are what they are, but the reality is that that most of the victims of these crime are. Uh, black and Hispanic, and most black and Hispanic people do not commit crime. It is the minority of any population. All right, the minority of the minority that's, that's that's committing the crime. Maybe a disproportionate number within that. And, and again, we can talk about the the uh, you know we can argue all day about the history of slavery, Jim Crow, systemic racism in the United States being the reason why we see more black and brown people intersecting with the criminal justice system. It's not going to be much of an argument because I'm going to agree with you. Uh, but the issue is how do we root that out without condoning criminality? Right? There's other ways that we have to attack that. Uh, and we can do it. Um, surrendering, you know, the flag on crime is not the way is, is not not the way to do that. But you know what what sickens me, uh, you know, I tell you, I've been on the Javits mission now for uh, you know almost all of COVID, and a lot of the guys that I'm serving with, you know, I'm one of the one of the few guys that's actually from here, right? It's you know, guys from Buffalo. We have Air Guard guys and people from other states, uh, you know. And we have soldiers getting harassed walking to and from the hotels at the Javits Center. We have hotels that the soldiers have are staying in that, you know, I mean, nice hotels, you know, Hilton's Marriott's that are doubling as homeless shelters and, and these, you know, they're, they're lighting fires outside the buildings. Uh, you know, it's just nutso. And it kills me the way they talk about New York City. And I look like, you know, they and that goes unreported too. that stuff you're talking about. I haven't heard about that on the news. Of course it does. And, you know, they think that I'm here, you know, trying to be some, uh, you know, spokesperson for New York City. I guess on some ways I am because I love the city. But I always tell people, I said, look, I'm old enough. I'm 45, maybe 46. So I, I, I'm old enough to remember what the city was like before it was cleaned up, coming in to visit, you know, with, with my family during the holidays and so forth and the peep shows and all that. But I, I also, you know, I feel privileged to have come of age in New York City after I graduated law school in what I call the sex in the city era. Right. This period where Manhattan just became this, you know, almost bucolic place. Right. Where, you know, you could you could you go, you can hang out to all hours of the night, walk home. I and mean, I remember, you know, being being young and single in New York City and, 
and being out, you know, at, at a restaurant or a bar or a club, wherever. I never gave it a second thought that, hey, I might be worried about walking home. I met one of the colonels on the mission at the Lexington Avenue Armory. Uh, this was a couple of months ago in April. It was one of the unseasonably warm nights. And I said, you know, we, we, we went and we had a drink down at the, uh, at, at the 69th Regiment Bar. Um, and I said, you know what, it, it's been a while since I walked the city. I'm going to walk back to my place, which is on uh, 10th and 34th. And geez, it was like a scene out of the Warriors movie, you know, from the 70s. I didn't, I didn't know. I mean, people on a heroin nod, not, you know, the, the head is almost impacting the sidewalk, campfires. Um, I had my phone in my hand ready to hit the Uber button and hoping it would get there in time if something went down because I'm not carrying. Um, it was just so sad to see. But, but to hear the way these guys that aren't from New York City who are here now and getting and getting their first real sustained taste of it, the way they talk about it is heartbreaking. It's heartbreaking because they think this is this is just what it's like. And I try and tell them, I said, look, this, this is not the way the city's been for the last couple of decades. And, you know, you know, Tom, kind of, we, kind of we service because they think, we, again, I'm just, you know, I'm a, I'm a New Yorker and I'm going to say that. Tom, we came up through this We I came on the job in 1985. Yes. I, I was in precinct anti-crime. I was in citywide anti-crime. I went from there to an Upper West Side. I was a sergeant. Then I went to a, the 24th Precinct RIP unit. So I was always in the crime business. And. It breaks my heart to see what we accomplished in making New York City the safest large city in the world. And this jackass named de Blasio gave it all back in, in seven and a half, eight well, years. The, the point, one of the points I make in a lot of my speeches is that, you know, if you look at the numbers, when, when, you know, the, the, we hit, we hit the, the record for murders in 1990 at about 2,400, right? Um, Bratton... Uh, under Giuliani by the, the, you know, they got it to under a thousand or to about a thousand by the, by the late nineties. Um, of course, by 2017, as you guys all know, we hit, we hit below 300. I mean, really, you know, the first, which is like unheard of. This recorded, yeah. I mean, lowest number in literally in recorded history. Yeah. yeah. In New York city history, hundred percent. Extrapolate that, you know, extrapolate to roughly 2000 less murders over a 25, 30 year period. Right. And you're you're talking about 50,000 lives, give or take. Right. Now, let's assume for argument's sake that half those lives would have been people of color. We know statistically it would be much higher than that. Let's just let's play yeah. it safe. You know, we're talking about not hundreds, not thousands, tens of thousands of black and brown lives saved as a result of the common sense broken windows policies that, that you guys you know, carried out. God bless you. Music to my. They want to lecture us on Black Lives Matter. I mean, really, I mean, really, we're talking about as many people as we lost in the Vietnam War, through the whole Vietnam War. It's you see what Bill was just saying. He came on in '85. I came on in '82. We saw what was going on before all of those policies went took place and were were instituted, and it was just pretty bad. Now you lived through it. We lost guys in the NYPD. There was a lot of things that went on in them years. A lot of people died. But when we saw you went into Times Square and it wasn't peep shows and it wasn't hookers and yeah. drug uh, peddlers on every corner. It was lights and you could take your children there. Now, like he said, between El Supremo in Albany and de Blasio, they gave it all back. And then the prosecutors throughout the city, not only uh, Cy Vance, the prosecutors throughout the city, they're, they're just letting everything go. I mean, during those riots last summer, Guys were back out on the street within hours. The cops were doing more paperwork, and they couldn't get back out there. But the guys who were causing all the guys, girls, whatever, whoever's causing the havoc was back out on the street in a, in a relatively short period of time to continue these, they called them protests. I called them riots, and they were outright riots. So, uh, I mean, it really hurts us. We're, it, we're, very, um, we're very passionate about it because we've seen – before we seen the middle and we seen the after and the after was the tremendous result. And now you're giving it all back. So it's like, it's so mind boggling to guys like me, Bill, and even Joe. Yeah, it really is. I mean, one thing I will say guys, like, look, you know, I, I hope that none of you, uh, you know, allow yourself, it's demoralizing, but I hope you now, you don't allow yourselves to become personally demoralized. My, my, my sister's a retired deputy inspector. She actually, uh, had founded the SVU with Morgenthau back in the late seventies. Um, you know, the, the, the average, you know, sane hinged New Yorker, Democrat, Republican support the police, support the mission of the police, 
uh, you know, love you guys for the heroes that you are. You know, if you go all through history, you know, the greatest atrocities are, are, and, and the worst things are achieved by a minority of individuals that are, that are just, you know, the, the, the most diabolical, right? They are the ones that are, you know, unfortunately turning our, our, our city, you know, a political minority, obviously I'm speaking about, um, you know, they are the ones that are, are turning things upside down, uh, you know, and, and I, I don't, I'm not sure I can understand them. You know, I think it, it's some, you know, I think they loathe, uh, you know, they, they just loathe society. They, they, they uh, uh, probably loathe themselves on some level. Um, you know, I don't, I'm not really interested in analyzing it, but, um, you know, th there is no question. The same reason why I think a Republican could win this city uh, and why I think I can win this race is because, you know, most people don't think that way. But, you know, functional people are not, you know, throwing themselves through the window at Macy's. You know, they're not throwing Molotov cocktails at police cruisers or, uh, uh, you know, rioting in the street. Um, so you don't hear from them, right? Because they're home and they're attending to their family, they're attending to their careers, they're doing what normal people do, whether they're liberal, uh, conservatives, Republican, Democrat. And, you know, you have, uh, you know, uh, three or 4% of the lunatics out there. Uh, but, you know, it's hard to compete for news coverage when you're home you know, doing things that functional people do when you got someone, uh, you know, throwing Molotov cocktails at police. Uh, you know, one, guys, one guys we got we got we got about we got about four minutes left. Joe Murray, he got almost no time. I'm going to give each guy one minute because we will we'll hit an hour if everyone does want to. Joe, you got your minute now. Kill it, Joe. All right, great. This is really important because you touched on it a few times about Republican Democrat. Who can win and can't win? This is not your normal race. I want to ask you, Tom, bail reform gutted our judges of power to use their discretion. Who are the predominantly of the judges in New York City, even New York State, but New York City? Are they Republican or Democrat? No, they're, they're listen, I and mean, I, I, I thanks for proposing that joke because it reinforces the point. I mean, they're 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 probably almost exclusively Democrat because they're, not only that, but are they elected or most of them run on the most party? most they're of the criminal judges? The party. Most of them are appointed. Uh, oh, the most, mayoral appointees, yes. Yeah, the mayoral appointees, but you know, and that's the kind of Democrat I'm talking about. No, I mean, look, I, I've been around long enough. I have off the record conversations with judges. I have, I mean, uh, every Manhattan district attorney, they can't do much on the record, but they could, they call me and say, look, the whole office is rooting for you. We were so happy when your website went live, there might be a savior. They don't support this. I mean, even the legal aid attorneys that then have been appointed judge are horrified about what's going on because they see the reality of it every day. They don't, they don't live the myths of the progressive left that wants to tell you, oh, Rikers Island has all these, you know, poor marijuana offenders in there. They know who's in Rikers Island. Take some work to get to Rikers yeah, Island. Phil, Phil Grimaldi, you got your last minute. Uh, I'm sorry I have to do this, but ahead, we, could, we could be here for hours. Go, go ahead, Phil. Tom, I just want to say tonight you get an A in my book. You did fantastic. I just hope there's going to be a debate because I think you'll do well. You answered all of our questions, everything we threw at you. You sound very proactive to me. I think that uh, a couple of times I went like this. It was music to my ears to hear about proactive policing, bring back stop and frisk, uh, the anti-crime. We can get this city back. And I've said this in a previous show. There's people that have thanked me recently, young kids, uh, somehow or another in a conversation in a Lowe's. I mentioned that I was law enforcement. Thank you for your service. There are a lot of good people out there, both Democrat and Republican. We talked about the people around Washington Square. They're not complaining about somebody smoking a joint. They're going crazy in Washington Square Park. Even the liberalist of liberals can't stand it. So I do think there's an avenue for you to get elected. Absolutely. Because you're, you're going to put law and order first. And you got to get your message out there. And I just hope that there's a debate because I think you'll do well. And I think you got a good shot at winning this. There time. better be. I've been talking, you know, I've been tweeting with Errol Lewis in New York One. I know he wants a debate, WPIX. Uh, the police unions, by the way, have to get on board. Okay. I know that a lot of them supported Karate because, look, they thought she was going to be the, the Democrat. Obviously, has an advantage, especially with law and order. Um, but but she's gone now. And, and Tali, even though she was a faux moderate, is, is gone. So, 
you guys know folks in the police unions and so forth, step up. If they just sit it out and say, oh, Republicans never going to win, then it's going to become a self-fulfilling prophecy. It's Thanks so for the support. So. Well, it's you so know, I, I think at least rate. now, Joe, I think now at least more cops live in the city than ever before. Yes. So hopefully cops will get behind Tom and we could get a Republican elected to Manhattan District Attorney because it's so, so important because this city – if we get another Democrat uh, in the DA's office, we get a Democratic mayor, this city is going to continue on a downward spiral. we got to forget Democrat and Republican. There's a man right there that wants to address the problem. Let's elect somebody that wants to take care of it, it's and so they're going to execute. He's going to execute. We could call him We could call him Major Tom, ground control, <laughs> ground control Major, Major Tom. Tom. <laughs> hey, you like know what? I'm running, on, I'm running on the same party Mike Bloomberg wrote, wrote Yeah. That's right. That's on, right. On and, and everybody was okay with that. If uh, you only had a few billion, you'd be in. Yeah, if I only had a few billion, yeah, that's the one. I, I pledge, if I hit the lottery tonight, you got a million dollars from me. I pledge that. And I said it on the air, and you got a million dollars if I win the big Joe, one. we got a contract there? What's, uh, yeah. I, I, I think I got to see in my contract. He, so he's going to deny he even read that commercial for Joe Murray. <laughs> <laughs> Guys, I think we're at an hour. Uh, I think we're going to fold the tent right now. Tom, I wish you all the best. It's been a pleasure having you on the show. It's been great, guys. I'd love to be back. Yeah, all you police off-the-cuff fans, uh, if you live in New York City, Manhattan, vote for Thomas Kniff as Manhattan District Attorney. He's the law and order guy. He's a major. He's uh, still serving this country, and he's been a defense attorney as well as a prosecutor. For police off-the-cuff, I'm Bill Cannon, Phil Grimaldi, What's that guy's name? Joe Murray and Thomas Kniff. Good night, everybody. Thank you so much. Good luck, Tom. God bless. Stay safe, everybody. Good night, guys. And everybody, listen, get on the social media. We got to build a Twitter following. Kniff number four DA. Kniff for DA. Kniff for DA. Beautiful. Facebook, Twitter, website. Just please get out there and talk it up. Thank you. Good Thanks, night. guys.